0: Thanks for being here this morning. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Northwest. And if you got a um, worship guide this morning, pull that out, or look off somebody next to you that has one, and you'll see that right on the front of that we have some really uh, creative and 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 beautiful artwork there, and um, in script letters there. There is that word Advent. We are celebrating what we call the Advent season. And Advent is a word that we get from Latin that simply means coming. So we are celebrating. We are we are looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. An anticipation. A as. The subtitle says there, a yearning for the king, a yearning for the king. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to trace this line of thinking from our passage in Isaiah through to the end of the scriptures and give us a picture of where we are as God's people here on December 9th, 2018. Where do we fall in this? What does it mean for us to long for, to look forward to, to live in anticipation of the coming king and his kingdom? So if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 11, I want to pick up where we left off last week in this time, in this place, in Isaiah chapter 11. If you're using one of the Bibles around you, you'll find that on page three thirty-two. Last week we we saw that as we moved into chapter nine of Isaiah and that prophecy of uh, you know for as Andrea mentioned. You know, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And then, then the hope of, you know, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Isaiah uh, prophesying hope, looking forward to a deliverer who would come. We're continuing that. But we saw that the, the space and the time that Isaiah was dropped down into to prophesy and to speak this truth of not only judgment but hope to God's people had come when God's people were under the oppressive thumb of the nation, the kingdom of Assyria. That the Assyrians were, in a sense, God's tool of judgment on his people. God's people had walked away from God. They had sought other gods. They had found security and safety, not in the strength and in the protection of Yahweh, but in military might, in aligning themselves and allying themselves with other nations who they thought could protect them. Who thought they thought could uh, usher them into uh, an era of greater prosperity and safety and ease? And God uses the Assyrians at this point in time in history to judge His own people. To say this is the result of your unbelief. This is the 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 uh, consequence of not following after Me and obeying Me. And the message. In Isaiah, is honestly, it will get worse before it gets better. It will get worse before it gets better. And we saw that last week that people were walking, there was just a darkness, there was an agony, there was an oppression that God's people were under and were experiencing. And if you back up here from chapter 11 into chapter 10, We begin to see that God, and through the prophet Isaiah, is starting to see that God's tool of judgment, the Assyrians, will not last forever. Their power won't continue. That God will eventually punish them after he is done with them. Because if you look at chapter 10, verse 13, uh, we see... Isaiah talking about how the Assyrians boast in their power. The Assyrians say, by the strength, the king of Assyria says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. The king of Assyria sees himself as being powerful, the conquering king, that he is the one who has brought this about. And if you skip down to verse 15 of chapter 10, you see Yahweh's response. Shall the axe boast over him who, who hews with it, or the saw magnify itself against him who wills it, wields it? Should the tool take credit should the tool think it is more powerful than the person who uses it? God is saying, No, I am using the Assyrians for my own plan, for my own purpose, but when I am done, I will punish them and I will judge them for their wickedness, for their unbelief, for their arrogance in thinking that. The king of Assyria is God, and is, and he is in control. And you see that in verse 12 of chapter 10. He will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. And before we jump into Isaiah chapter 11, we get this picture at the end of chapter 10. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bowels with terrifying power The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. We get this picture at the end of chapter 10 of a forest, a great forest that has been raised and all that's left is a bunch of jagged dead stumps. And then we jump in to Isaiah chapter 11 and hear this word, verse one, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. I want you to know before we get into this, that this is poetic. This is a poem here. This is words that that the Lord is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah. And these are word pictures here that hold great meaning. And so what I don't want to do this morning is suck all the life and the poetry out of these words by breaking them down. I want you to feel them. I want you to feel what these words are like. I want you, as you're reading them and hearing them, to see this picture in your mind's eye. That this is the word of the Lord. This is the hope of not only freedom from judgment, but of a new world, of a new creation, of a new reality. Isaiah begins by saying, not only will judgment come on the Assyrians and I'll raise that forest and there's are stumped, but there's a stump in Israel as well. This is an image of a tree that is cut down and only a stump remains. And he calls that stump the stump of Jesse. And if you know your history, you will know that Jesse was the father of who? David. King David, the greatest king in Israel, a king who was described as a man after God's own heart, a king who, who, though he was flawed, though he was imperfect, though he sinned greatly, led the people, God's people, in following after God. All of the kings of Israel subsequent to David were were referred to as coming from David. They ruled on David's throne. They were were kings who found their source in David as being kind of the penultimate king of Israel. And Isaiah begins this chapter here by saying that that line of kings that was once glorious and majestic, a line of kings that represented the God of the universe on this earth, was now a stump. It was a stump that was not ro- a tree that was not royalty, but a stump that was a peasant farmer, like Jesse, a peasant shepherd, like Jesse. The Davidic line of kings had been humbled, had sunk so low they had seemed they were all but dead. There was no life in them. What once was a flourishing tree was now just a stump. And we saw that last week with kings like Ahaz. Kings like Ahaz who did not follow the Lord, who did not care about Yahweh, who were more interested in aligning with other nations and other gods than worshiping the God of Israel. This glorious line of kings had been brought down low. But out of this stump, Isaiah prophesied that a shoot would come. A sign of life out of this dead stump, as small as it may be, as imperceptible imperceptible as it may be, a sign of life would come. Things would change. There would be a new king. There would be a new reign. There would be new life. Now, read that end of chapter 10 into chapter 11 without the chapter break it seems like one is happening right after the other. It sounds like judgment of the Assyrians will happen on Monday, and a new king and a new reign and new life will come on Tuesday, one right after another. And if you read on in the, in the book of Isaiah, you will see that the next king that we encounter is a king named Hezekiah, a king named Hezekiah who comes in and unlike the previous kings, Hezekiah is a man who loves God, a man who seeks God, a man whose desire is to lead the kingdom to, back to God. And Hezekiah comes on the scene when the Assyrians have moved down through the northern kingdom of Israel. They have destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, a tool of God's judgment. And now they arrive at Jerusalem the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah, where God's people and King Hezekiah dwell. They arrive at Jerusalem and they lay siege to this city. And unlike his predecessors, who reached outside to seek help, to seek protection, to seek safety, Hezekiah goes into the temple and he prays to Yahweh and he says, deliver us. Come, deliver us, save us from the Assyrians. And what we read is that very night, this mysterious plague breaks out in the army of the Assyrians that are laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah and the people of God wake up the next morning, and thousands and thousands of dead bodies are on the ground, and the Assyrians have retreated. God's people have been saved. They have been delivered. And there's rejoicing. And there's, there's shouts of victory. And people look at Hezekiah like, this is the prince of peace. This is the king that God had promised. This is the deliverer that God has sent. And Hezekiah was a legit king. He was a king who loved God and followed God. But just like every other king, including the great King David, eventually we see the weakness, the the, the sin. We see his humanity bubble up to the surface. And if you read to the end of Hezekiah's life, you'll read a sad story of a man who eventually moves away from God. And just like his predecessors, goes outside of the relationship with God and seeks help by allying himself with the nation of Babylon. And God comes and says, because you have trusted the military might of the Babylonians over my protection, over my strength, and over my might, this nation will be taken away. My people will be destroyed. And what we see is just a few generations after Hezekiah, the Babylonians, the people and the nation that was supposed to protect the people of God that Hezekiah thought. They eventually come and they destroy Jerusalem and they carry God's people off into exile, away from their land to serve their gods and to live in their culture. And God's people once again are left waiting. They're left waiting. When is this king coming? When is this deliverer that has been promised over and over and over again? When will we experience this? More waiting, more yearning, no king, no peace. When we read books like Isaiah and other Books that we call the prophetic books. It can be difficult to understand, right? We read all this imagery and this poetic imagery and these these words that that don't make sense and these pictures that are a very cultural picture. And we're like, how do, how do I figure this out? What did I was talking to Tez about this last week? It's like you drop down in these books and it's like, what in the world is going on here? One of the most helpful things for me. In, in reading this was learning how to think about the, the prophetic books like we're looking at a mountain range. My wife and I, over the years, have, have gotten an opportunity to spend a lot of time out in Colorado. And if you've been out in Colorado, around Denver, Fort Collins, Loveland area, you're always living with the Rocky Mountains in the backdrop and when you're on the ground there kind of in the lowland and you look up and you see those mountains you ju- it just looks like one continual mountain right just one continual mountain on the landscape but when you drive up into rocky mountain national park what you begin to see is it's not just one mountain that goes across the landscape but it's a series of ridges and valleys and mountains after mountains after mountains some smaller than others And when we think about what Isaiah is prophesying here, Isaiah and the people of God, it was as if they were standing on a mountain. They saw the mountains of Assyria's coming and Assyria's going, of God's judgment and God's deliverance in the immediate. But they could also see in the distance the mountain of the promised king, that someday God would send a king that would deliver them that would set up a kingdom that would be a kingdom of righteousness and justice forever and ever and ever. But they didn't know, even as they're looking at that mountain, they don't know how far away it is. Over and over again, we see these things in these prophetic books, like these imminent, uh, imminent things like the attack of Assyria, the deliverance of God. And then right next to it, we see something promised Something promised in the future, but we don't know. Is this 100 years in front of us? Is this 1,000 years in front of us? Is this 10,000 years in front of us? This is a prophetic perspective. We hope for it. We see it. But just like we're looking at a mountain range, it looks close, but it may not be close. And we don't know how far away it is. And we see God's people waiting. We see God's people longing for this king. But remember that, and we're going to come back to it here in a second. Will you turn over to Matthew chapter 2? Matthew chapter 2. And again, we find ourselves dropping down into this story. Matthew chapter 2. Jesus has been born. But starting in verse 1, just... Listen to these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them. Where is the Christ? Where, Where the Christ was to be born? who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Deception, fear, injustice. Violence, bloodshed, the stump of Jesse. Jesus Christ, born, the deliverer, the king, born under a king who was spiritually blind, a king who was insecure, a king who was wrathful. After this was prophesied in Isaiah, the people of Israel languishing under this kind of king. Now listen to those words from Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. For the meek of the earth and with and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. What a different picture of a king. What a different picture of a king, a king who brings peace a king who brings righteousness, a king who brings faithfulness. We see here a king who is perfect, a king who is empowered by the Spirit of God, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. He will rule with righteousness and equity and justice. He will do right by the poor. He will do right by the disadvantaged and those who are marginalized. He will place those who have endured suffering and persecution and hardship on level ground. And righteousness and faithfulness will hold everything together. How refreshing is that? how attractive is that now put yourself in the shoes of god's people in this time what they had experienced from their kings what they had experienced not only in isaiah's day but in the day that that was written in luke chapter 2 living under a king who was evil living underneath the thumb of the Roman Empire who didn't care about their God, who didn't care about their worship, who didn't care about their culture. And they are still holding on to this promise that one day we will have this kind of a kingdom. One day we will experience this kind of a good and perfect king. And last week I mentioned, you know, when we talk about the idea of of Jesus being beautiful that it's, there's an attractiveness to him. There is a refreshing quality to the presence of Jesus. And Isaiah lays this out here in spite of all of what God's people had experienced from their king. They are now drawn to a king. And they can experience a king. They can hope for a king that is attractive and beautiful because he brings peace. And he brings love. And he rules with righteousness and justice. We see a king who brings peace to this world. Just listen to these words again. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and the little child shall lead them. This picture of a world where the scariest, most dangerous creatures are playing and cuddling up with the weakest and most vulnerable. There is peace. There is safety. There is security here. Because this world will be filled with the knowledge of God. They will know who God is. And they will not only know who God is, but their lives will be marked by his righteousness and his justice and his peace and his goodness. We see a king who is perfect, a king who brings peace to this world, and then a king who's gathering the nations to himself. Look at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the people, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Paul quotes this verse in Romans chapter 15 when he's talking to the Romans about his ministry, what God has commissioned him to do as an apostle, to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, not only to the Jews, But to everybody else, Paul refers back to this prophecy in Isaiah to say that through his ministry, God is doing this now. And the same is true for us today. This is coming true in our own lives. I mean, just look at this room, people from different backgrounds and cultures and races and ethnicities. People who have roots from all over the world. We're talking about global missions. Nate's going to talk a little bit about that here during our giving time in a moment. But God is a God who is bringing the nations to himself. And this word here, signal, maybe you have a translation that translates it banner. It's a rallying point in battle. Isaiah is prophesying that Jesus Christ, this coming king, is a rallying point. He is a banner. And you see this throughout the Old Testament. This was one of the names for God. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. That when the people of God stepped into the promised land, amidst people who did not know God, who did not worship God, they would raise a banner, their presence would say, that the God of the universe is here. There will be a day when the banner will be raised because the king is here. Jesus Christ is here. God's people carrying that banner, his presence announcing to the world, the king is here. And when we read Words like this. When we see this picture, we realize that this is not yet, but it is kind of already, right? I mean, this is what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings over and over and over again. That life with God, under the rule of God, is something that we look forward to, that we hope for, that we know that one day we will experience that to its fullest forever and ever and ever and ever. But yet at the same time, God in his grace has given us an experience of that now. I mean, this gathering, look, this is an experience of it now when we step out into places that are dark, when we step into relationships with people who have been mistreated and abused, when we bring the peace of God with us as we go, we are announcing that the king is here, that the king is already here. He's not fully here. His kingdom is not fully here yet. But his presence is. His people are here. The God with us, Emmanuel, is here. So when we yearn and when we long for this king as God's people, how do we wait? Knowing that just as God's people were standing on that mountain, And they saw the Assyrians come and go. And yet they were looking forward to that mountain in the future when the king would come. We are also standing on the mountain looking back at Jesus' first coming, but also looking forward to the promise that he will come again. We don't know when that will happen. We don't know how long we, as God's people, will continue to wait. But the question for us this morning is how do we wait? How do we wait? How do we live in this already but not yet sense of being? We yearn and we long for the King by lifting up Jesus to the nations. We see this prophecy here that one day God will bring all of the nations to Himself. You see this throughout Scripture that God scatters and He gathers. God scatters and he gathers. And we are in a time right now when God's people are scattered all over the world. And one day we will all stand together as one. We will all experience the presence of God in a real sense, in a new heaven and a new earth as one. And so we continue to go. We continue to announce to people not only here in our city, but around the world that the king is here, that God is here, that God is with us and that we can be with him. We wait by understanding that our king will rule with righteousness and justice. So he expects his people to live that way right now as we wait. That's why it matters that we seek out people who are hurting, that we seek out people who are in chaos and offer them peace, that we bring God's justice to them, that we treat people with equity and with fairness and with generosity, because that's our king. That's his nature. That's his quality. That's how he rules. And so if we are part of his kingdom, if we are his people, if we call him our king, then we need to live like our king. We need to live like we are part of his rule and his reign now because we are. We live as though what is promised to us in the future is reality now. That's why it matters. And lastly, let me draw your attention back to verse 10. Notice how Isaiah began this chapter by referring to the root or to the shoot from the stumps of Jesse. And in verse 10, he switches and he says, the root of Jesse. In Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16 John records that Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is both the source of David and the offspring of David. He is both the father of David and David's son. He, he tested The religious leaders, when they came and asked him, what does it mean? They asked him about this. They couldn't figure it out. What David in the Psalms talked about, about how he was, you know, the Messiah, the coming Messiah would be his son, but he would also worship him. And Jesus responded to them to get them to see that God had become man. This man that they saw was also God. This God man, this God with us. That disappointment after disappointment for God's people, for us in leaders and kings who continue to let us down, who continue to rule unjustly, who continue to seek their own interests over the interests of others who do not rule with righteousness and justice and peace, that disappointment that God's people have felt from this time to the present, God is allowing us to recognize that we were made for a different king. We were made to live under the rule of a perfect king, a righteous king, a king who is both God and and man, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus's work is done, bringing the nations to himself, making all things new, covering the earth with the knowledge of God, his resting place, as Isaiah says, will be glorious forever and ever and ever and ever. And so. What I want to leave you with this morning is that as we think about Advent, as we think about this season, it's so easy for us to get caught up in just seeing what's right in front of us, to only living in the moment, and to not understand that we are still waiting, that we are still longing. And that doesn't mean that we put it in our back pocket and we will about it, but that that hope we have in the future, that this King will come, That this kingdom will be a reality. That this world, where there will be peace and safety and security, will last forever. That that means something for us today. That's our hope. And we can live like what we have been promised in the future is already true. And that's why this morning we can all say, come Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come, and we can live in anticipation that we will know this kingdom. We will experience this king, not only in the future, but in our lives today. I want to invite you to come this morning and take communion, tear a piece of the bread off, dip it in the cup and do it with great joy and with great hope, knowing that the suffering that you may experience today The injustice that you may experience today. The hurt and the pain that you see and that you live in today. The world of brokenness that you're confronted with every single day. That one day that will not be true. But that truth will be the stump of Jesse. A shoot has risen up. A true king. A righteous king, a king of peace and justice and love and goodness will rule forever and ever and ever. And we, by his grace, will live in that and experience that and that will be our reality for eternity.